Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We are continuing on in our series called I Quit, talking about leaving behind things like worry, anxiety, and fear. Now, we're going to start things off this morning with a little exercise. So hopefully everybody has one of these three-by-five cards and a pen. So if you got that, go ahead and get it out now. If you don't have one for some reason, just shoot your hand up in the air, and we have some people in the back who will make sure that you can get one. So on this card, go ahead and write down five people or things that you value most in life. Top five people or things that you value. Now, you don't have to overthink this, and you don't have to put down the church answer just because you're in church. But here's my list that I put together really quick just off the top of my head. And I just want to get us thinking about some of the things that are important in our lives. So I'll give you a minute now to keep writing those down. All right, if you're still writing, you can just keep writing things down as I'm talking. But I just want to build to this question. How would you feel, what would you do if the things or the people on your list were threatened? If it looked like maybe you would lose something that you care about the most? I think a lot of us would feel a common emotion. I think a lot of us would feel fear. Fear is a deeply unpleasant emotion in response to perceiving or recognizing a danger or a threat. Now, I used to think that I didn't really struggle with fear because I wasn't afraid of snakes, spiders, and clowns. As if that's all there is in life to be afraid of. But a while back when I was still dating Gabby, it was a normal work day. I got this text message from her. Hey, don't read this text till after work. So when I first saw that, I was like, all right, this could be one of two things. Either it's nothing or she's breaking up with me. And most people would just go ahead and read the full text message to know for sure but not me. I don't know if I was just too obedient or something or overthinking it as if it was some kind of test where she'd be like, did you wait till after work? So for most of the day, I just didn't open up this text and I just had this thought of, yep, my girlfriend might be breaking up with me. God might be calling me to be a bachelor till the rapture. So, <laughs> so I gotta admit though, I did not make it until the end of the work day. And I finally looked at everything that she said in that text message. 
And turns out she just had some questions about vehicle maintenance and she didn't want to bother me during the day with her vehicle problems. I was like, oh my goodness. I spent so many hours of my workday so stressed out over nothing. And what that exposed in my life is that I really do struggle with fear. I struggle with the fear of rejection. I struggle with the idea of losing something that I deeply care about. And I think with every stage of life, there might be different things that I'm afraid of losing. Like my list of five things or people might look different from season of life to season of life. But what remains the same is probably how I would respond at the idea of losing something that I care about so much, of having to wrestle with fear. And there's no point in our lives where we just graduate to not having to deal with fear anymore. And it's not a matter of if we will ever deal with something scary. I think it's a matter of when. And maybe some of you right here this morning, you're currently facing some kind of fear in your life. And fear is a natural emotion to feel. And it's kind of like anger. Like nobody's like, I want to be scared today. It just kind of comes flooding in. And you might have a choice of, are you going to just let this fear run rampant in your life? Or are you going to try to face it and overcome it? And some, some amount of fear, I think, is, is healthy and good and it can keep us safe in life. For example, I love wildlife. I like birds, snakes, bears, things that I probably shouldn't get close to, but I'm like, how close can I get for a picture? So maybe I need a little bit more of this healthy fear in my life, but even coming up on a rattlesnake to take a video of it, I have enough fear of this rattlesnake to not reach out and pet the rattlesnake. I'm afraid of what this thing can do to me. And so some measure of fear can keep us safe, but if we leave fear unchecked, it can take over in our lives. It can take over in our thoughts and it can steal our joy. So let's revisit the definition of fear here. It's a deeply unpleasant emotion. So fear could be good in that case with the rattlesnake because that unpleasant, unpleasant emotion isn't as painful as getting bit by a rattlesnake, right? But if I have a fear of snakes, and I'm feeling that unpleasant emotion and there's no snakes around, I'm not keeping myself safe. I'm not, it's not making my life any better to be living under that fear. I have this family member, who's not my wife by the way, who has this irrational fear of snakes. And she read this article a bunch of years ago about a snake that entered somebody's house through the plumbing in the toilet. And so ever since then, there's been this house rule that you have to leave the toilet seat down. And if she walks into a bathroom with the toilet seat up, it's like panic sets in. There could be a snake in the house. And the chances of a snake actually entering the house is pretty slim to none. And so this fear of snakes, it isn't making her life any better. It's not keeping her safe. It's making things harder on her. And sometimes we can't avoid or fix the danger or the threat that's coming up on us, the hard times in life. 
And fear doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't make anything any better. And that unpleasant emotion just kind of compounds on whatever that danger or threat is or whatever that uncomfortable time is. And it's tough. And fear can kind of control the way that we live. It can dictate what we will do or what we won't do. Sometimes it can hold us back from making the right choices or it can leave us awake in bed at night and just stealing sleep from us. It makes our heart beat faster. It can make your breathing harder and it can steal our joy if we leave fear unchecked in our lives, just running rampant. And God doesn't want us to live under the rule of fear. He doesn't want us to be controlled or overwhelmed by it. And so the Bible uses the phrase, do not be afraid, 145 times. So I tested this out just this week. Now, Gabby's had this health concern that's been weighing on her for the last few months now. And so I went up to her and I was like, just don't be afraid. And it didn't work out the way that I hoped it would. Just because God says, don't be afraid, it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't just make things in our life less scary, just like that. But I think that this can give us hope because it's possible to not be afraid. I don't think that God would say 145 times, don't be afraid if it wasn't possible to stop the fear in our lives. And so that's the hope that we can have as we get into this morning's conversation on fear. We'll be in Matthew chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love to give you one. It is page 668 in this Bible. And if anybody would like to get one of these Bibles to follow along, just go ahead and throw your hand up in the air. And we have some people in the back who can get you a Bible and you can take that Bible home with you. And that's our gift to you so that you can have a copy of God's word, not just on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week. So before we read in verse 22, I wanna just give a little bit of background on what's going on here. So this is the peak of Jesus's ministry. People are coming from far and wide to hear Jesus' teachings and to witness his healings. And it's like Jesus could not catch a break from the crowds of people who wanted to be around him. And on this particular day, Jesus was trying to get some alone time away from people. But still, people were looking for Jesus and they found him. And instead of Jesus being like, sorry guys, it's my off day, catch you later. Jesus had compassion on these people, and so he was healing them. And then, as you can imagine, more and more people were coming to witness and experience the healing that Jesus was offering. And before long, there was a crowd of more than 5,000 people. And it was getting to be pretty late in the day, around dinner time. And the disciples of Jesus come up to him, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we should probably send these people off now so that they can go into town and get some food because they're like out in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus says, no, we'll feed them, which sounded so crazy to the disciples because in that whole crowd of people, all they had were two fish and five loaves of bread. 
That's not even enough for everybody to get one little bite. But that doesn't stop Jesus. And so he took those loaves of bread and the fish, and through the power of God, he performed this miracle of multiplying the food so that everybody got enough to eat, and they were full, and there were leftovers. So this was a pretty full day for Jesus and the disciples, but the story doesn't stop there. And so we're going to pick up the rest of the story in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So the disciples and Jesus split up. The disciples get into this boat and they head out on the lake of Tiberias, which is more commonly referred to as the Sea of Galilee. So even though it's called a sea, it's really closer to the size of a lake. It's about 13 miles from north to south and seven miles wide. But a, a key observation from this passage to tuck away for later is that it was Jesus's idea for the disciples to get in this boat and head out on the water. Let's keep on reading in the last part of verse 23, it says, Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And we'll stop right there. So, man, talk about a full day. The disciples get out on the water around evening time. And then it says that Jesus came out to meet them walking on the water around dawn. So some people think that's around three in the morning. So the disciples were out on the water from evening till early morning. These guys have probably been up for 24 hours. And according to this story in the book of John, they made it about three to four miles before Jesus caught up to them walking on the water. So that means they were fighting the wind and the waves all night long, and they only made it a few miles. So this storm that they are facing is no joke. And Jesus, he's God. He knew that this storm would come, and he let them out on the water anyways. Why would Jesus send them out on the water if he knew that there was a storm coming in? I mean, if, if God's in control of everything, why doesn't he stop them from going into danger? And maybe you can relate to going through something hard in your life and you're wondering why God would let you go through that. If God is in control, if God cares about you, why would he let you go through something so hard and so scary? I was talking to somebody just this week who said something like this. I know that God is in control, but his plans can be scary. I don't want to get hurt physically or emotionally. And if you feel this way, maybe you're not all that comforted when somebody's like, God's in control. Don't worry about it. So you could be like, yeah, I know that God's in control. I also know that as a Christian, it's not like God just gives us a free pass on going through hard things in life. 
After all, God often uses the hard and the scary things to draw us closer to him and to grow us in our faith. That doesn't make it less painful. Sometimes that doesn't really make it any less scary. So how could God do that to us? It was Jesus's idea to split up and to send the disciples out on the water. And while Jesus is away on that mountainside, but even, even in that storm, Jesus did not stay distant. And Jesus came to meet the disciples right there in that storm by walking on the water. And I think the takeaway for us is just because we go through hard times in life, it doesn't mean that God is distant. And God is right there with us, ready to meet us in whatever storm of life that we are facing. And you would almost think that as soon as Jesus comes to the disciples, that they would be like, oh, it's Jesus, everything's fine. But that's not really how it goes. So let's keep on reading in verse 26. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So here's one of the many times when the Bible says, don't be afraid. And just because Jesus says, don't be afraid, it doesn't necessarily make it easy to not be afraid. But if you are a Christian and you have Jesus in your life, I think you have more reason than anybody else to not be afraid. And right there in the midst of that storm, Jesus says, it is I. In the original Greek, I think it would have sounded more like I am. I think Jesus was pointing back to the fact that he is God. Because early on in biblical history, God appeared to the prophet Moses through the burning bush. And when Moses asked God, what should I call you? God said to him, I am who I am. Our reason to not be afraid in life is directly connected to who God is. And so if we're to quit fear in our life, we need to set our focus on who God is and what he has done. This idea of focus got me thinking about a camera lens. But so often in my life, I have a zoomed in perspective where I'm just focused on all these things that I can see in this life, like my health, the health of my family. I'm concerned about being successful as a husband, being successful as a parent down the road when that time comes. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're a student and you're just trying to make it through classes. Focused on paying the bills and doing all right in life and having job security and those kinds of things. And if this is all my perspective is on and those things feel threatened, then I, I look to earthly solutions to solve those problems. If I'm not looking beyond uh, just an earthly perspective, I'll just go right to self-help books or trying to get advice from people and just kind of fix things with advice from the world. And if all I'm looking to is worldly solutions for my fears and my problems, then all I have is an earthly hope. And so I think we need to expand our perspective to focus on spiritual realities. 
the realities of who God is and everything that God has done. That I have a, a purpose in life. That, that I am called to live for God, glorify him with my life and to model after him in my thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors. To remember that God has a plan, not just for my life, but even for the entire world. God had a plan for history and God has a plan for everything that is still to come. And this life that I live in, live is so temporary compared to eternity. There's no more fear, no more pain, and no more hardship. And this is what can give us hope when we're facing the trials of life and going through things that are scary. And we don't have time this morning to unpack all of these spiritual realities, but I wanna take some time to talk about who God is and what God has done. So let's keep on reading in verse 28. It says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, and Peter is one of the 12 disciples. He said, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, it almost looks like Peter has more faith than everybody else in that boat. And we don't see anybody else raising their hand and being like, ooh, pick me, I want to walk on the water. It's just Peter. And so Peter takes his few steps out on the water and it's like, he's doing pretty good. And then he gets overwhelmed with everything around him and he begins to sink. Now, if I, I didn't know this story and if I didn't just read it, I would kind of expect Jesus to be like, pretty good job, little buddy. You did good, good faith. Took those first few steps. Just do a little bit better next time. But Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think this is a rhetorical question because we can see pretty clearly why Peter doubted. Because he took a glance at the size of the waves, the power of the wind, and he was afraid. And in his view, the size of his fears was bigger than Jesus himself and the fact that Jesus was right there with him. And that's why he doubted. It's almost like everything that he knew about Jesus, who he is and what he had done, he just forgot about it right out the window. And he doubted. And so I think the takeaway for us is to remember what God has done. Because not even 24 hours before that moment, Peter had just watched Jesus feed a crowd of more than 5,000 people with nothing more than five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus had shown all kinds of miracles to Peter for probably more than a year now, miracles that aren't even recorded in the Bible. And all Peter had to do was to remember what God has done to know that Jesus could sustain him through this storm. Now, maybe you're thinking, all right, that's valid for Peter. 
I mean, he got to see Jesus with his own two eyes. He got to see firsthand all of these miracles that Jesus did. I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen his miracles. But if you are a Christian, then God has done an incredible work in your life. I'd say that is a miracle because more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on this awful wooden cross to take the penalty for sin that we deserve to pay upon himself so that if we believe in him, we can have forgiveness of our sins and have a relationship with God forever. That's a miracle. Jesus made a way for us to be saved of our sins and to have a new life and a new identity through him. And if, if Jesus can save us from our sins, I think that Jesus can help us to overcome our fears. And along those same lines, I think we can recognize what God is doing now, what he's currently doing in our lives. All Peter had to do was to look down and see that he had taken a few steps on the water, that Jesus was sustaining him through this storm. He didn't need to doubt. He could just have faith that Jesus could keep on doing what he was already doing. This week, I was thinking about this message, and I honestly didn't know where to start. I was having trouble putting things on paper. It just wasn't coming together for me. But God placed a situation in my life that was kind of scary for me and Gabby to work through. And so instead of just thinking, all right, what am I going to say on Sunday morning? It was like, all right, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my situation? And what I found out is me and Gabby have very different outlooks on life. So I tend to be an optimist, kind of an annoying optimist, if you know what I mean. So if I was in Peter's shoes in this situation, I'd probably be walking on the water like, do, 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 wind, waves, what wind, what waves? Things are fine, it's all good. And just minimize the severity of that situation. Now, my wife, on the other hand, tends to have more of a pessimistic outlook on things. And she'd be like, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And I didn't even get to say goodbye to the people I love. Didn't get to say goodbye to my dog. I'm just gonna die and be at the bottom of this lake. And that's it, no burial. It's all, I'm, ah! Right? And she would justify that and be like, I'm not a pessimist, I'm just being a realist. Which is what most pessimists do. Even I have my moments of being like that. But a true realist, I think, could walk on that water and say, those waves are really bad. That wind, that's no joke. But to continue looking around and to see Jesus, to know that Jesus is bigger and stronger than the wind and the waves. And I think that choosing faith over fear doesn't mean just being a blind optimist, just thinking that, Everything is all sunshine and roses and minimizing what it is that we're going through. But a a realist and someone living in faith can see that God is greater than our fears. And the last point that I wanna talk through is to respond to who God is. So let's keep reading the last couple of verses here. It says in verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
What blows my mind is that these 12 guys who'd been with Jesus for probably more than a year now, they still had their doubts that Jesus was the son of God? What? After all the miracles they'd seen, after all the teachings they'd heard from Jesus, just now they're like, oh yeah, I think he's the son of God. What? You just watched this guy walk on the water. Now Jesus, he allowed them to go out on the water when he knew there was a storm coming. It was all part of his plan. And Jesus came to them on the water and showed his power over the wind and the waves. And I think that everything in this story was kind of building to this moment for them to finally recognize that Jesus really is the son of God and to come to this place of responding to who Jesus is and to worship him. And I think that we can do the same in our lives, even after going through the hard times to look back and see God's faithfulness and to respond to God's goodness and his perfect control over the situation. Now, like I said before, it's not a matter of if we'll ever have to face fear. It's a matter of when. And we can't perfectly plan out our lives so that we won't ever have to go through anything hard and scary. But I think we can plan ahead to know how we will deal with the fears when the fears come up. Go ahead and grab that three by five card and just look at your top five people or things on that list. Now, how would you respond if any of those were threatened? How would you respond if you thought maybe you would lose something that you value most in life? Would you be able to get through that by remembering what God has done? Would you be able to recognize what God is currently doing in your life and what he's doing in the lives of people around you? Would you even know how to respond to who God is? I really hope that none of us have to go through something as scary as losing anything that you wrote down on that card. That would be absolutely awful. But I think it's so healthy for us to think ahead and how we can overcome fear in our lives and how we'll respond, not if, but when something scary happens in our life. And so my challenge for all of us this morning is to personally answer these three questions. What has God done? What is God doing? And how should I respond to who God is? So if you wanna pull out your phone and take a picture of this slide, you can do that. Or if you want to write it down on a three by five card, that's totally fine too. And I know that this is everything that we just talked about. So maybe you're like, ah, I know the answer. You just said it a minute ago. But my challenge for you is to not just write down the things that I said. Don't just give the Adam answer. But to answer these questions based on what God has done in your life, based on the things that you've been through, your experiences, and maybe some of the Bible verses that God has brought to your mind are the things that God has been teaching you lately so that you can have something to fall back on, not if, 
but when something hard and scary comes up in our lives. So I'll, I'll give you just a minute to write down those questions and then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you are in control when I am not. I think sometimes I want to have control in life because I think it'll keep me safer or spare me from scary things. But God, your control is perfect no matter what your plan is, whether that plan is to make things um, easier in our lives or your plan is to grow us through the hard times. And I ask that that we would seek you in the hard times, that we would look to you to overcome our fears, that we wouldn't just look within ourselves, our own strength, or just trying to make our circumstances better. But I ask that you would bring us to that place of knowing we can't do it in our own strength, and God, we need you. Help us to expand our perspective beyond just what we can see with our eyes, but what we know to be true about you, what we know to be true about your plan for our lives, what we know to be true about heaven and all of eternity. And I ask that we would find our hope in you. And God, it's not easy to overcome fear, and that's not your promise for this life. But I'm so thankful that you meet us in the storm, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And for everybody here in this room, whatever it is that they are going through in their personal lives, I ask that you would meet them right where they're at and that they would know just your comfort and your steady hands over whatever the situation is. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.